This is Focal Point for Tuesday the 21st of December 2010. Our topic is 2010, the year in review. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Padney and Gihan Pereira for this week's edition. Hello Chris, how are you? I'm well, thanks, Gihan. Looking to looking forward to some time off over Christmas. How about you? Yes, yes, the same with me. A nice family Christmas, not taking too much time off, but uh, it'll be nice to have a bit of a break. Excellent. So what we're doing today is we've called this a year in review, so we're not reviewing everything that's happened online or technology-related, but we're talking about our predictions. So we made some predictions in January of this year, and we made ten predictions. Chris, you made five, and I made five, and so we're going to review them and see how well we did, or in some cases how badly we did. That's right. It's a bit of a mixed bag this year. That's right. Yeah, so let's kick off. Uh, I'm going to start with a link that I found during the year, which was one from a guy called Clifford Stoll, who uh, in 1995 wrote in Newsweek a bunch of predictions uh, for, well, uh, for what he thought the internet would hold in the years to come. And if we use that as a baseline, well, we can't go wrong because his predictions back in 1995 were appalling. I'll just rattle off some of the ones that he thought were complete baloney, as he said. And uh, every single one of them is now thriving in 2010. So, for instance, he thought that telecommuting, interactive libraries, multimedia in the classroom, electronic town meetings, virtual communities, taking a computer to the beach, reading books and newspapers online, e-commerce and online shopping and e-payments, booking airline tickets and restaurant (laughs) reservations, and finally, cyber sex were all baloney. And in 2010, uh, people would look back at those kinds of ideas and laugh. But here we are. 2010, most of those things are thriving. So I think compared with Clifford Stolgehan, we've done okay. Yes, that's right. I remember reading that as well. And to his credit, Clifford Stoll himself has responded to that, that I think it was a Newsweek article or some, some mainstream uh, media article online that, that uh, reminded us of, of his predictions. And he responded very graciously and said, yep, uh, Many people get things wrong, but not many people get them as wrong as I did. So he didn't, he didn't try to make any excuses. He just laughed it off, which is the right thing to do. Exactly. And I'm going to admit that um, at the beginning of the year, uh, there was a lot of buzz about the impending release of the iPad from Apple. And I almost included in my list of predictions at the beginning of 2010 that no one would bother buying uh, Slate computers or tablet computers or the iPad in particular. And so I cut that from my list. Uh, it was a good thing I cut it from the list because the iPad was extremely popular. And now the, uh, the Android tab, the Galaxy tab, uh, is, has sold equally as well. Yes, that's right. And if you had made the prediction, then everyone would have known about it. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about something. Let's start on a positive note, Chris. So we're, look, we're going to go through our top ten, and one of them is one in which you did really well. So the first prediction that you made, so let's do it this way. So I'll read out your predictions, and you can read out mine, and we can comment on them. So the first prediction that you made was about Internet politics, and you suggested that in 2010 we'd have an increasingly political dimension uh, to the way that the Internet's used, because governments will grapple with things like regulation and censorship of the net. And you, uh, you talked about as the good, the bad, and the ugly. So the good was the rollout of our national broadband network in Australia. The bad was... Um, uh, the Rudd government, which is now the Gillard government, but the Australian Labor government's pushed to censor the internet, and the ugly was that uh, campaigns which would be waged on the internet prior to our election, which happened early this year. 
Yeah, and uh, this was uh, back at the beginning of the year when we made these predictions, obviously. And at the time, uh, Google and Beijing were playing a game of political brinkmanship over what started out as allegations of hacking into a Gmail account of Chinese activists, uh, by Chinese hacktivists perhaps, and Google responding by threatening to pull out uh, their operations from mainland China unless the Chinese government relaxed their internet censorship policies. And it turned out that Google blinked first and they uh, followed up by withdrawing from mainland China, trying to get... Uh, um, their, their search traffic redirected to Hong Kong, but then shutting down that operation as well. Um, and at the time, our commentary was that uh, a lot of people were missing the point. They were being diverted from the fact that Google had been hacked in the first place and that uh, uh, Google, who was supposed to be one of the most uh, well-respected cloud computing service providers, uh, it showed that uh, even they are vulnerable to um, security uh, attacks and that sort of thing. And then later in the year, we found uh, that more politicians were starting to make use of Twitter, for better or worse. We had uh, the midterm elections in the U.S., and many U.S. Uh, pollies were very active in the Twitter sphere. And uh, the same happened when uh, the Australian general election rolled round. We started to see pollies uh, making use of Twitter uh, in various ways uh, in the run-up to the Australian election. And uh, apparently the U.S. government had a policy of, of hands off the Internet, but they reversed that and said that they were going to p become more involved uh, in uh, policy. And then, last but not least, uh, in recent weeks we've had the whole WikiLeaks cable gate scandal. Uh, so that has created a lot of interest uh, from uh, politicians in particular, given that they're the ones who are most embarrassed by this. Uh, so I think I've done really well in, <laughs> in predicting uh, an interface between uh, Internet and politics this year, Gihan. Uh, as far as uh, my three, the good, the bad and the ugly go, the, the National Broad Broadband Network figured large in the general election. It was one of the um, uh, main policy um, standpoints that the independent rural um, MPs cited as, as uh, helping them decide which side of politics they were going to back when it came to the balance of power. Uh, the bad was that the ALP, who are still the government in Australia, are continuing to persist with their push to uh, implement their policy of internet censorship, even though it's deader than dead. Uh, if you thought it was going to have a hard time getting through both houses of uh, parliament last year, last term, uh, this, this political term, it's got even less likelihood of succeeding, but they continue to persist uh, flogging a dead horse, so that's uh, sad. And finally, the ugly. I mean, I, was, I think we were both right. Uh, I was right in saying that the Australian political campaign on the internet was going to be poor, and that came to be the, the case. When we reviewed it earlier in the year in one of our podcasts, we both were underwhelmed at how woeful it was. I think you got a, a straight A on that one, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to focus on that one, Gihan. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's move on to the second prediction, Gihan, which was one of yours, was that uh, you predicted there'd be a significant drop in face-to-face -face meetings, primarily due to an increase in electronic meetings, such as teleseminars, webinars, conference calls, and online conferences. You said that there'd be, uh, you predicted that there'd be an uptake in those kinds of electronic meetings and as a consequence a significant drop in face-to-face -face meetings. So Chris, I don't know whether this one is a pass or a fail. I find it 
dif- difficult to find reliable stats and some objective evidence to support me on this one. Um, and the reason is that I found some stats, but they seem to be biased. So they're both sides of the argument, or both sides of this debate, uh, have their own stats. So the hospitality industry and the meetings industry, for example, is claiming that there's been some growth in the last year with face-to-face meetings. And I can understand that because organizations and companies who have been through the economic downturn, the recession, they're starting to come out of that now slowly. And so some of the things that they've canceled, like business travel and their their big conferences, they started to to pick up again. So certainly compared to last year, I think face-to-face meetings, especially conferences and events, have grown. But equally, the online meeting industry, like webinars and online conferencing solutions, they're suggesting that there's been a big growth in that area and perhaps at the expense of face-to-face meetings. So it's been a bit hard for me to get some objective stats around that. But I'll say two things that we do know for sure. Uh, One is that definitely online meetings are growing, not only online conferences and events, but even just people making teleconference calls, video conference calls, meeting by webinar, meeting by Skype, as we're doing now, that's definitely growing. And the second thing is that even in face-to-face meetings, people are using technology and using the Internet more effectively. So there are conferences now which have Twitter back channels and even sometimes official Twitter back channels uh, in the in the event. There are people who use things like LinkedIn to connect with people before they attend a conference. Um, there are people who are making teleconference calls uh, where some some of the people might be in the room and others are just available by teleconference or by webinar. Uh, I've spoken at conferences. I spoke at a conference in Canada a couple of weeks ago where I was sitting in my home office in Perth and I was presenting by webinar. So there's a much greater use of technology and Internet te- technology even in face-to-face meetings. Yeah, and you, and sort of face-to-face meetings um, are kind of recognised as being productivity killers. I think I shared with you a TED talk by Jason Fried called Why Work Doesn't Happen at Work, and he went through a list of things that he thought were uh, anti-productive, and one of those were the kinds of face-to-face meetings that uh, many of us have probably sat through at work uh, that aren't effective and a drain on productivity. Yep. I agree. So I think I'm not sure whether that prediction was a pass or a fail, but it's certainly that area of online meetings and face-to-face meetings is something that we should definitely keep an eye on for next year, Chris. Absolutely. All right. So the next prediction was one of yours, which was about less privacy and greater openness. And you quoted Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg, who, by the way, was Time's Person of the Year. Did you see that recently? I did see that, yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. So he says that attitudes to online privacy have changed. And you quoted him in saying that people have got really comfortable not only sharing more information in different kinds, but more openly and with more people. That's right. And the idea I was, I was trying to put across there was that Mark's right, that people are sharing more. Uh, and during the year, one of the things they started sharing in greater amounts was their actual physical location. With the uptake of smartphones, along came a lot of apps that made use of those phones' abilities to be located, either through GPS or through the, um, the uh, wireless signal. And and then apps could take advantage of that for navigation and for all kinds of uh, things, including some apps that it was completely pointless uh, revealing your location too. So 
It was the idea that people becoming more comfortable uh, with sharing all kinds of information about themselves. But the flip side to that was that I thought that organisations like Facebook and Google would improve uh, their privacy policies and the tools that allow you to control your privacy settings so as to help people become more comfortable and use these applications and these social networks uh, in greater numbers. But I reckon I got that completely wrong. Um, what and a, a good example of that is the changes that Facebook made to their um, privacy policy during the year, which was uh, more in the favour of Facebook than in their um, users' uh, um, interests, and their controls became more opaque and difficult to use. So I think I got this completely wrong. I, I really failed uh, to remember the important rule that the users of social networks and mobile applications are often not the customers or clients, but rather it's the user's information, uh, their personal information, that is the product that social networks and mobile applications, etc., that product is what they're interested in and selling that to advertisers so that we can buy stuff on the internet. Um, yep. I think that was the privacy thing maybe went through a tipping point there where, where I think Zuckerberg was predicting uh, maybe wishfully what he thought that people would be saying, uh, would want, and then discovered that that wasn't the case at all. Yeah. Okay, we'll move on to the next prediction of yours, Kihan, which uh, we titled Think Local, Act Local. And you suggested that we'll see a significant increase in localization and context-specific specific content so advertising and finding friends that are near you or GPS-tagged photos when they're uploaded to places like Flickr, uh, finding your fellow tweeters uh, near you with sites like meetup.com. How do you reckon you went, Gihan? Well, I think that the technology is all there, and I'm surprised that people aren't using it more, more than that. So I think I'm going to give myself a fail. So this has grown, but I wouldn't consider it significant growth. I really expected that I'd see a lot more because of the technology being available. So particularly on the, say, on the Apple iPhone, where you can't even turn off sending your information to Apple. Um, you can't opt out of it completely. You can opt out of sending information to their advertisers, but the, the iPhone can't, you know, will always send your information and your location to Apple, whether you like it or not. And so some of these technology features are available so that if you're driving by a restaurant, theoretically that restaurant could send you a little tweet saying, I hear that you're coming, I see that you're close by, we've got a special on today, why don't you come in, there's a two-for-one offer or something like that. Um, there are apps on the iPhone where you can look at where you can look and see who's around you. Uh, you can find people who are also logged in, who are close by. I thought things like Foursquare and Gowalla, which are kind of getting a bit of momentum in the U.S., would would get some traction here. That hasn't really happened. And in fact, I think perhaps Facebook and Gowalla are perhaps not growing as quickly as they would like in the U.S. either. So I, I think that I, I didn't succeed in the prediction there. I think that the technology is there, but the applications of it and the people using it um, certainly hasn't been... Uh, growing as quickly as I, as I thought. Uh, and I just saw something recently, Chris, in the last week, there was an article quoted in the Wall Street Journal which suggested that a lot of iPhone and Android apps are sending personal information back to the developers without the user's permission or without the user's knowledge, I guess. And so I guess that these apps are now collecting all this demographic and personal information which they plan to use. So perhaps it's something that's going to happen in the next year. 
Yeah, it may be. So I guess it harkens back to the previous point where I failed in my prediction in so much as it's this personal information that's so valuable to advertisers and to the application writers and the social networks that support them uh, rather than the application themselves. Yep, yep, that's right. So while we're still talking about um, apps and mobile phones, so your next prediction was one about, well, you predicted that there'd be more mobile apps. So you suggested that now we've solved the chicken and egg problem so that there are healthy numbers of smartphones and apps for them, so we're going to see more and more of the latter. So we're going to see more and more apps because their developers have a, have a platform f- uh, to build them. So not only for uh, individuals, but also for businesses. So it's a, it's a savvy and a clever way for businesses to, to create links with their, with their existing customers and to attract new customers as well. So you predicted that we'll see a lot more of these during 2010 um, simply because they make good sense and more people will have access to smartphones. Yeah, and certainly there was a, that that's a prediction that I got right, although I've only given myself a passing grade because it was really a bit of a no-brainer. Uh, once the smartphones were available in significant numbers, it made sense for businesses and uh, users alike to, to have mobile applications available on them. Um, and some of the developments that we saw during uh, 2010 were things like Facebook adding uh, geolocation support to their social network technologies. Uh, Twitter added the ability to tweet with your location, uh, which is possibly not a wise thing to do, as we advised in one of our podcasts. We focused an entire podcast on the um, on the topic of locational awareness, as it is called, which is um, applications that and tools that make it possible to give away your physical location. Yep, but still a pass. <laughs> I think that's good. <laughs> uh, the sixth prediction that we came up with, or that you came up with, Gihan, was that the growth of Google phones or Android phones will exceed the growth of iPhones. And I guess this is one of the predictions that you made that was more, well, you said it was more of a wish than a prediction because at the time you had an iPhone, but you found it really annoying. So what you were hoping for was to have more a more open option available, and that was really a promise that was offered only by Android at that stage. Or and uh, Google had a phone called the Nexus One, I think it was at that stage. Um, and it might be a while before there was as many apps available on the Android platform as are available on the iPhone platform. Um, and so you were just hoping that Android would catch up with Apple. Yep, okay, so I'll give myself a pass and a big pass on that one because um, my wish came true. <laughs> and uh, even, but I must admit that even I've been blown away by the growth of Android this year in 2010 and analysts are predicting that in 2011 it's going to grow even faster and it's likely to overtake Apple's iPhone, iPad, iOS uh, sometime in 2011 unless Apple comes up with again something fairly radical. It's already the fastest growing operating system in the US and um, expected to overtake iPhones, as I said. And Google is saying that there are more than 300,000 Android handsets activated every day, which based on um, Apple's, you know, comparing with Apple's last quarter reports, it's about twice as many as iPhones. So that it is really growing very quickly. And I'm just astonished by that, Chris, because it, the Android market is much more diverse, uh, which I guess is part of the reason why it's growing, because any manufacturer can um, license the Android uh, software onto their machines, uh, onto their, onto their hardware. But also it means that it doesn't have the advantage that Apple has of just being one big company, with, which is really still very much a, um, 
very popular in the in the press, in the media, so they get a lot of media attention. Steve Jobs, whenever he makes a speech, gets a lot of media coverage, and he pushes his stuff, you know, the Apple stuff, very, very prominently. And yet, Android uh, is is fast overtaking it. And the other thing, Chris, you mentioned in passing about the Galaxy Tab uh, compared to the iPad, and it's sold as the Galaxy Tab has sold as many. Uh, units in the first month, a million, as the iPad did in its first month. And granted, the iPad was breaking new ground because it was new technology and the Galaxy Tab could piggyback on that. But equally, it was uh, Samsung doesn't have uh, a cult of followers the same way that Apple does. So it's really interesting to see that Android is growing and I'm really pleased. On a personal note, I got rid of my iPhone uh, in the middle of the year and I bought myself an Android phone, an HTC Desire, which is fantastic. And at the same time, I was so uh, impressed with Android that I was going to buy an iPad, and I didn't. Uh, I bought a very poor Chinese Android tablet at the time, which was which was very poor. But the but just yesterday, I went out and bought myself the Samsung Galaxy Tab, which is great. It's a great Android tablet. It's about it's much smaller and lighter than the iPad, and because it runs Android, I'm very happy with it. Very good. All right, so we'll move off the idea, we'll move off that whole mobile uh, market uh, and the mobile platforms, even though I think that's another thing that we'll be looking at for next year. And we move on to another area, Chris. So you, we're talking about news media, uh, and you talked about the idea that the news media, so the traditional media, had a terrible year in 2009. And uh, not just traditional, but online media as well. So news media who are trying to grapple with this idea of online versus offline and whether they can get the same sort of advertising revenues online, whether they should be offering some sort of uh, – whether they should be continuing to make things free or whether they should have a, a paywall uh, so they can charge subscribers for content. And you predicted that they'd actually uh, see a bit of a recovery, uh, particularly online, for the online news media. Yeah, I did make that prediction, and things started out well uh, early in the year when the first Pulitzer Prize for online journalism was awarded, uh, so long ago that I can't recall the actual nature of the story, but it was the first one that went to a piece of, that was a purely online effort. Uh, but as far as my predictions concerned, I have to give myself another fail, because the trend was, uh, although it was a small trend, it was in completely the opposite direction from that which I predicted. So, for instance, uh, both the Times Online and Sunday Times, which are uh, part of the News Corp, Rupert Murdoch's organisation, the, the online versions of the Times and the Sunday Times went behind a paywall. And then later in the year, the New York Times also announced that they were investigating ways of putting their online edition into a pay-per-view model. So although uh, they seem to be the only two uh, major online newspapers that uh, have announced these kinds of moves, they've been away from pursuing things like freemiums and trying to exploit social networks as a way of distributing their content. Uh, Instead, they've been moving towards uh, putting up paywalls or introducing pay-per-view for their content. So it's a bit early to tell because it's only been these these two efforts uh, are fairly new. Uh, Some early figures suggested that uh, as far as the Times Online and the Sunday Times were concerned, they had a significant drop in readership once their content went behind a paywall. But nevertheless, even then, the small numbers of paying viewers generated a significant amount of revenue. 
uh, some more in-depth analysis suggested those figures were somewhat inflated because part of the, that, that revenue um, total included some um, print customers who got the online version for free. So it's really difficult to tell from these early figures whether this is a trend that's going to continue because it was immensely successful, but uh, whatever the case, uh, it certainly wasn't a move in the direction that I predicted, which was um, taking advantage of what we consider things like Web 2.0 and trying to use that as a way of distributing news media. Yeah, although I think that uh, I still agree with you, Chris, even though it didn't happen in 2010, I think we'll start to see a recovery for online news media, but simply because I think we need to. Uh, I think that news media that shuts off its online channel is not going to, is not going to survive, so they'll have to figure out some business model that'll make it work. Yeah, yeah, and it just didn't happen in 2010, so let's, well, maybe it'll happen in 2011 or beyond, because it needs to, as you say, Giha. Yep, I think so. So the eighth prediction uh, that w- was made, you made that one, Gihan, and it was that smart businesses will figure out Twitter and Facebook. And uh, 2009 was certainly a big year for Twitter. It certainly became mainstream. But uh, that was a bit like the dot-com boom, and everybody jumped on board without really figuring out how they could monetize it or whether, in fact, it was worth the effort. But uh, you reckoned that 2010 would be the year that Twitter became a mainstream business tool. And uh, the, you... Uh, you cited several ways in which Twitter could be used to make money, but not many people were actually doing it. And so you predicted that 2010, smart businesses would figure it all out and that there would be a variety of solutions. There wouldn't be a one-size-fits-all. Yeah, and I think in this one, this is another one where I'm not sure whether it's a pass or a fail. What I was hoping would I would be able to say by the end of the year was that there'd be some really clever examples of businesses using Twitter, Facebook, social media for their business and I'd be able to cite a number of examples and you know plenty of businesses are using social media but uh, so you know you could consider it a pass but I'm not as many as expected and certainly not as many stories of people using it in innovative ways perhaps the best known example that came uh, came out this year in 2010 was the Old Spice Guy which is a 30 second TV commercial that that went viral on YouTube and you know it was a it was done masterfully by the advertising agency that they engaged for this because it started with the YouTube commercial, which went viral, um, hugely popular. There were a lot of parodies and rip-offs, and they were all really that the, the agency didn't try to stop it in any way, and uh, Old Spice didn't either. And then phase two of it was a Twitter campaign where people commented to the guy, to the character, and he responded. So they had the agency then shot a number of other commercials with the guy, again, doing YouTube videos and uh, responding to people's questions and comments. And the, the one that I particularly remember was including a marriage proposal. So somebody asked him whether he would be able to propose to propose on his behalf to his girlfriend. And, and so that little YouTube video was very popular. So that was something, that was a campaign that was done very well and it was done using Facebook and Twitter for advertising purposes. Well, not really Facebook, but YouTube and Twitter. And the question is, did that really increase sales of Old Spice Body Wash? And the facts are that no, according to the numbers that came out a few months later, sales actually went down. Although some marketing uh, agencies and advertising agencies will say that Oh, hold on, uh, total Old Spice sales went up during that time, so the brand recognition, uh, that, that aspect of the campaign really did, did work. So that's an example that was very popular. I was hoping that there'd be more of them, so I'd, I'd give myself a bit of a fail on that one. Okay. 
Well, marketers would say that kind of thing as far as Old Spice total sales being up, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah exactly, because they're talking about brand advertising and they hate being they hate being called to account and held accountable for something anything more specific than that. Okay, so the next one, which was kind of like the, the last two that we that we talked about, are kind of uh, very different categories than what we talked about before. And so, Chris, your, uh, your prediction was about the pervasive internet. So the whole idea of the internet fridge finally coming of age. So this is something that has been talked about for a long time, and uh, you're talking about the internet refrigerator as an icon of the dot-com bubble. And the idea was that you'd have these devices which would monitor... Uh, say the fridge would monitor its contents, and when you're running low on cheese, it would automatically order more from your online grocer. And so that was the idea. And uh, there were, uh, you, you mentioned, Chris, that you knew people who had, you had that sort of network connection built into the fridge, uh, built into the fridge of their home. And you predicted that there'd be more of these internet-connected devices that would make our life easier because they'd be plugged into the cloud. Yeah, and I guess uh, that was another wish of mine, but it has of ours, but it hadn't really happened, I'm afraid. Uh, there's been a bit of organic growth in that sort of thing. There's, the trend has been upwards in that there's been more and more cool gadgets coming out that make use of the internet as part of their operation. But it hasn't been, you couldn't call 2010 the year of the internet fridge or the internet connected device. There have been a couple of cool things come out, like uh, Microsoft brought out a research product called the Vicon Review, which is this camera you can, wearable camera, that just records pretty much everything you do. We were talking uh, earlier in the week, Gihan, about just how cheap hard disks are and how much you can store on them. And I've got a, a huge one that I do all my backups to, and it's barely full. It's a two-terabyte disk. And the Vicon Review is sort of built on this idea that storage is cheap, and you can just record practically everything you do uh, and then uh, upload it to the cloud as well. So, and a good mate of ours, Jimmy, who's into, into running and doing half marathons, he's got this fantastic um, heart monitor, a Garmin heart monitor that, um, after he's done a run, records where he was, the wind, the wind speed, and uh, the route that he took, and his heart rate at the time, and then that generates a web page he can look at himself or share with his mates, and he's sent a couple to me. And, uh, yeah, it's an astonishingly cool device, but I've only seen a few of these things coming out during the year. I haven't seen an avalanche of them. And one of the reasons is perhaps that rather than focusing on just devices themselves, um, I think manufacturers have been focusing on apps that go on things like smartphones and then coupling them uh, to devices instead. And that's, I think that's where the focus has been instead. Yes, I think the, the thing that, were, that you talked about with James's heart rate monitor and some of the other device, internet-connected devices that are coming out now is that they're using the internet as a storage place. So in other words, they're using the cloud so they can connect to the internet and upload information, which then there might be another cloud service, like they might upload it to Facebook or to a web page or tweet where they tweet their run. But then we haven't seen much uh, intelligence on top of that so they're using the internet as a data storage device, and you, you talked about your hard disk. But increasingly, people are using the cloud as that as their hard disk. But we haven't seen much intelligence on top of that. So we haven't seen the the fridge that uploads its uh, current inventory is not is not connected to the online grocer, which can then restock. That's right. Yeah. So uh, hopefully, something we will see come about in the future, but uh, a fail as far as 2010 is concerned. All right, well, our last prediction was one of yours, Gihan, and that was that more content syndication would occur, both automatic and manual. 
Uh, so, for instance, blogs and podcasts make this really easy because they use web feeds, sometimes referred to as RSS, Real Simple Syndication, that stands for. Facebook and Ning and other sites also uh, support RSS web feeds so that you can syndicate them, uh, so that you can syndicate your blog, for example. Uh, Google now shows Twitter results. Uh, first, if you type in something like uh, Gihan Pereira's Twitter feed, uh, you can actually see the live, twi- live tweets in Google search results. So I'm going to give myself a pass on this, Chris. Yeah. Because, uh, well, I guess there's two sides to it. So are people, first of all, creating content that can be syndicated? And the other side is, are other people then syndicating the content and, and consuming the content? So the Technorati, which is known as, uh, which has become famous as the number one site that's uh, the reference site for bloggers, suggests in their latest State of the Blogosphere report that there has been a growth in blogs, particularly mobile blogging. So 25% of bloggers say that they're mobile bloggers, so they're not just blogging from their computer, they'll be blogging when they're out and about. They'll be blogging photos, videos, and text as well. So certainly blogging has increased, and in fact, I think there's been a resurgence in blogging in the last year or so, and I hope that continues. And I think part of that is because there's been a resurgence in reading. So people who've got Kindles and iPads and Galaxy tabs and those sort of devices can now consume text um, much more easily and in wherever they are. And I think if in the last couple of years a video was was really hot, I, I think that maybe text is going back to being hot again. So that because people have got past printed books and they're now reading stuff on the reading text on their on their internet de- connected devices and there've been a couple of things that have facilitated this from the other side so in terms of creating and syndicating content at the start of the year I signed up with an app maker who would create an app an iPhone app for me and it was basically an iPhone app that would publish my blog and my Twitter feed and uh, even videos I think at the time uh, eventually that app got pulled from the store because Apple changed their rules but I see a number of uh, uh, app creation software tools now that are available, both for iPhone and Android, that allow you to syndicate your material. And if you create that material, you don't want to keep creating it and publishing it in lots of different places. What you want to do is create it in a place like a blog, which can then be syndicated into people's uh, blog readers, to iPads and onto iPhones and other smartphones. So the software is available for you to do that. The, when the iPad came out, uh, one of its top apps which in fact this year was voted the top app of the year, was um, an app called Flipboard. It was a bit controversial. What it would do was show you basically your daily newspaper, but it would take information from a number of sources. Now, if it's only taking from RSS, that's fine, because that's exactly what RSS is for. But in fact, it was scraping, that's uh, the term that's used for, it was basically copying, plagiarizing really, information from other sources and making it available in this in this place. I guess it wasn't plagiarizing, but it was illegally copying it. Um, and number of publishers were upset by that, but the app continues. Apple hasn't pulled it from the store, um, and it's in fact become the, the app of the year. So I guess that proves that people are interested in reading that content, and that content has been syndicated. And even now, like ordinary people can create their own little daily newspaper. There's a website called paper.li, paperly, which allows you to create your own daily newspaper, which is a summary of all the highlights from your Twitter feed and your all your followers' Twitter feeds. And I was kind of skeptical about that, and pe- a few people um, every day I get an email saying such and such daily paper is out, and it features my fr- features my name simply because I've. I've posted something and I'm, a, I'm being I'm being followed by, or they're following me, 
And so I see this tweet appear in my, in my um, mentions, and I've been a bit skeptical about that, but I have had a couple of comments from people who have obviously read, read that uh, newspaper, the daily newspaper that somebody else published, and has seen what I've written in it. So, yeah, I think syndication is growing, and I think it's definitely going to be the way that it's the only practical way that we'll be able to publish content because we'll be publishing it uh, in order for it to be read in a number of different places. Okay. Well, that wraps it up, Gihan, for 2010, doesn't it? It certainly does. And we'll do the same in 2011. We'll make uh, another bunch of predictions and look back at the, tw- at the end of the year and see how poorly we've done. <laughs> oh, how well we've done, Chris. Be optimistic. <laughs> so our next, uh, next episode, which will be in January, we'll, we'll make our predictions for 2011. So, Gihan, it remains uh, for us to wish our listeners all the best for Christmas and the New Year. And i uh, also like to wish you a uh, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year as well. And it's been great doing Focal Point with you this year. I'm looking forward to doing it with you again next year. Yeah, likewise, Chris. I, re- I really enjoy this. I enjoy the research. I enjoy the, the banter and I enjoy the, run, doing the episodes. So thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.focalpointpodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to our past episodes or leave us your comments or questions. We look forward to having you back next time.